What a wild time to be a follower of Jesus. What an insanely chaotic world you're living in. It is nuts. That's the Hebrew word, nuts. It is absolutely nuts out there right now. And um, it's almost like we wake up every day to find out what is the new level of insanity, chaos, and drama that is occurring across the globe. Um, my personal belief, and I believe it is a well-founded belief based on what I've seen in scripture. And my personal belief is that we're living in the last chapter of the last days. That's what I believe. Um, I have uh, younger people that will speak um, into this ministry from time to time, and they say, hey, could you lay off the apocalyptic stuff? <laughs> you know, that's not going to resonate with our generation. You know, we're 19, 20, 21 years old, and we don't, we don't really necessarily vibe with all of the apocalyptic end of the age stuff. And could you maybe, you know, pivot and talk about something else? And, you know, my response is always just kind of understanding. I get it. No, no young person wants to think that they don't have 40 years ahead of them. But let me just tell you, if you're young, you don't have 40 years ahead of you. <laughs> um, sorry if that is offensive or discouraging, but man, I believe it's true. If you look at the scriptures and just read read your New Testament especially, and just mark what it says about the end of days before the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it is impossible not to see the, um, the intensity with which all of those prophecies are being fulfilled right before our eyes. There is a convergence of events um, globally that um, speak to what will take place at the end of the age. And um, all of the pieces are being moved together. Now, that's not today's purpose for today's podcast. And here's what I really want to talk about. What I want to talk about is in light, in light of the fact that our days are numbered, in light of the fact that you and I are both going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for how we stewarded our lives after our salvation. Please remember that. I'm talking to Christians here. If you are a Christian, you will not give an account for your sin because your sin has already been accounted for. Hallelujah. Amen. But you will most definitely give an account for what you did with the eternal life that Jesus Christ gave you. What did you do on planet earth during your lifetime post salvation? The Bible speaks of a standing before Christ at what is called the Bema seat or the judgment seat. And there Jesus himself will reward what we did in our lives. And that which passes the test of his analysis will be greatly rewarded. That which does not pass the test will be burned up. Now our souls don't get burned up and we don't go to hell, but our life value will be tried as by fire in what is honorable and good and makes sense according to what Jesus dictates in the word of God, according to what happens in our heart with love towards him. Because if you love him, you'll obey him. You'll keep his commandments. You'll serve him. Your life will be about in some level, his glory. And you won't look at it and say, ah, it's too complicated to figure out. I'm gonna live my life. Thank God I'm saved. I'm going to heaven when I die. Nope. That's not a rewardable life. And so the intentional life of living sacrifice and all of the principles that um, comprise what a Christian's heart and life activity is to be, it's going to be judged. And so I want you, <laughs> I want it for myself too, but I, I, want, I want you to be ready. And in light of these days coming to a close, and my personal belief, you don't have to agree with me, I'm not a date setter, but I'm a seasoned discerner. I don't set dates, but I do discern the season because we're called to. 
And I don't think we have a whole lot more time left in which we can proactively live by faith. This is the only time in your eternal existence that you will be called to live by faith. If you're not living by faith now, you will never live by faith because when you, when you translate out of this world and into the next faith is not needed because all that was to be in, to have been by faith will then become sight. And so faith is not needed in heaven. This is the only time in your existence that you can glorify God by trusting him and living by faith. And that's what he rewards. And so I want us to be living lives that make sense according to scripture. And if you're not doing that intentionally, my, my guess is you're not doing it at all because an accidental life that glorifies God is not a reality Um, to bring him glory that results in eternal reward and everlasting glory uh, for him is um, from our lives is always an intentional act. It's an intentional structuring of the life. And I want to say this. It's impossible for me to stand before Jesus when I give an account for my life. It is impossible for me to receive any rewards for anything that was not rooted and anchored in agape love. What am I talking about? The motivation for how we live our lives and what we do in the kingdom is to be glory for God. That's our primary motivation. God must get the glory. The secondary right underneath it is very much like it is I want to love the people that I'm living my life to serve. Here's a little tidbit for you. God doesn't need your service. You do not enhance God. You do not increase God when you serve him. He is not better because you serve him. He is the unchangeable God that is at the full, immeasurable extent of glory and perfection for all of time and existence. No matter what I do, it does not add to him. If I choose not to serve him, it does not take away from him. He does not need our service, but he requires it. And the way that we serve God is by serving others. And the way that we serve others must be motivated by love. So let me read to you some very familiar verses from 1 Corinthians 13. It is, of course, the love chapter. And I always chuckle because a lot of people use 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings or on Valentine's Day or, you know, some token of, you know, fondness towards somebody that they're smitten by boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives, all of that stuff. But 1 Corinthians 13 is not romantic love at all. It's not. It's not Hallmark Valentine's Day love. It is agape love. It is sacrificial love. It is selfless love. It is maybe it can, it probably does within the context of marriage include romantic love, but that is not primarily what's it about, what it's about. It's about, and first Corinthians 13 falls in the middle of first Corinthians 12 and first Corinthians 14, first Corinthians 12, first Corinthians 14 are all about the gifts of the spirit, what they are, how to use them, why they're necessary and smack right in the middle of those two chapters that deal with the gifts of the Holy Spirit is this chapter 13 on love. It's almost like Paul said, I'm going to teach you what the gifts are in chapter 12. I'm going to teach you in chapter 14 how to use them. But before you go too far with what the gifts are and move straight into how to use them, I'm going to sandwich in this chapter of love because apart from love, the gifts of the Spirit are meaningless. Please remember the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all of them, Um, They are ministry tools. They're not showboat tricks. They're not cool, wow, stunning, hyper Instagram-ish kind of cool stuff that we do. 
No, they're ministry tools. And sadly, people have made a, a sideshow out of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. By the way, I'm a, I'm a gifts of the Holy Spirit guy. Tongues, prophecy, miracles, healing, signs, wonders, uh, resurrections, all of that stuff. I believe in that. I want more of that because the Bible tells me to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. But I've seen a lot of the use of spiritual gifts that is much more about drawing attention to the gift gifted than it is to the gift giver. And if we're going to use these ministry gifts, we got to do it in love. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, listen to this. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as, as, so as to remove mountains, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver it my body to be burned, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love endures all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. All right, I just churned through those verses because most of you that are uh, Mavericks and Misfits listeners, you know 1 Corinthians 13. And so my goal today is not to you know dissect 1 Corinthians 13, but I want to talk to you about the, the love being a commitment. Like love is not primarily a feeling, although when we feel love, both in the receiving and the giving of it, that's awesome. You never want to run away from the feeling. But what do you do when you don't feel loving? Well, you love. What if you don't feel loved by others? Well, you love them back anyway. What if you can't feel the love of God on a Tuesday? Well, you just keep loving God and trust that he loves you, whether your feelings validated or not. One of the dangers of our current culture is we are a hypersensitive, um, emotionally dominated. Uh, we need feelings to validate everything. And it's really sad because now we're in a state where a lot of Christians, if they don't feel it, they don't respond appropriately. So in other words, if I don't feel something, then if I act in the way I'm supposed to, it's not authentic because I didn't feel it. Where do you find that in the Bible? Where do you find, <clears throat> excuse me, where do you find in the Bible the idea that the only way something is authentic is if it has an emotional validation attached to it. That is not Bible. That is actually immaturity in the spirit because I'm going to tell you, God, God does not, he, he does not relegate conditional obedience to us saying you, you should do this as long as you feel it. You don't have to obey as, if you don't feel it. Just wait for the feeling. It's nowhere in scripture. It's just not realistic because um, that makes your 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 emotions, your feelings makes them your functional Lord and master. 
you're obeying your emotions. If you feel something, you, you do it. If you don't feel it, you don't do it. Well, what if God wants you to do it whether you feel it or not? And loving people, whether um, we have the emotional attachment to it or not, is, um, is still required. So let's just go through a few of these thoughts because, again, the context is, is gifts of the Spirit. Pardon me, I'm going to take a drink of water real quick. The context of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is the gifts of the Spirit. And what Paul is doing is he's telling the church at Corinth, hey, y'all are extremely gifted. Y'all flow in the gifts. Y'all prophesy. Y'all speak in tongues. You guys um, work in miracles and healings, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. You guys like are really, really gifted. But you don't operate in the, the level of love that makes these gifts all the more potent. And so he's correcting them that they're operating in a selfishness and an arrogance and a recklessness with the gifts of the spirit. And so from that, what we can learn is that, um, you know, love is important to the heart of God. And I define love this way. Love is me seeking your highest good. What is the highest good for you? When I know that in any given moment, any given situation, I try to facilitate whatever is required for your highest good. That is me loving you. And it's more than likely that when you love somebody in that same way, it's going to cost you. It's going to require of you. By the way, because we are seeking the highest good of one another, that means sometimes we correct each other. We rebuke each other. We do not endorse behavior that is outside of what God's best is. A lot of people, you know, are throwing stones at the church right now because, you know, they call us bigoted, homophobic, transphobic, all of that stuff, because we won't endorse something that we know is terrible for a person's soul. Like the, the blatant and flagrant violation of God's standards concerning human sexuality is now being it's being demanded of the church that we endorse and support that kind of thinking. And if we do so, they say, oh, you're being loving, you're being affirming, you're being kind. That is actually not true. If I tell you that something is good that God has said is sin, how can that be love? That is absolutely lying. It's deceptive. So love sometimes requires us to say things that are very difficult. Why? Because we're seeking the highest good. Of the other person. Paul said that love was more important than what comes out of our mouth. He said, I can speak in tongues. I can speak in the tongues of angels. I, I can speak mysteries in the spirit. But if I don't love people, then what is coming out of my mouth has the same value as a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's just... It's just a cacophony of noise coming out of our mouth if it's not anchored and rooted in love. What he was saying there is, hey, you guys are really just busting out in tongues when you're gathered together as a church. It makes you look real spiritual, but it's just blah, 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 blah. If you're not doing it for the good, the highest good of the other person. He, he actually says that love's more important than prophecy. He says, if I have all prophetic powers, that's 1 Corinthians 13 too. If I have all prophetic powers. If I am a blazing discerner of spiritual, supernatural mysteries, 
If I can see the unseen, if I can hear the unspoken, if I can discern the spirits, if I can know what's going on in a room as soon as I walk in, if I get it, if I am, you know, the, 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 uh, what do you call it? The membrane between heaven and earth is so thin that heaven's voice and heaven's direction passes directly from heaven's throne room straight to me. It passes through that thin membrane between heaven and earth, enters into my spirit, and I know exactly what God is saying. He, Paul says this, he goes, yeah, if I have that ability prophetically, but I don't love the people to whom I'm prophesying, Paul says, I have nothing he literally said, I am nothing. So a prophetic person with all this discernment, all this power, if they're not regulated by love, the word of God says they're nothing. And what that means is the value they think they have prophetically is actually undermined by the lack of value they have in the context of loving people. Paul would go on and he'd say, um, love is more important than anything you might accomplish in the kingdom. Hello, I'm a type A guy. I'm wired by God to get things done. I see a mountain, I want to climb it. I see a battle, I'm going to run to it, not away from it. That's the way I'm wired. I don't know how you're wired, but that's the way I'm wired. You know what Paul says to people like me? He says, you can have all the faith in the world. You could remove mountains, Jeff, not just scale up a mountain. You could, if you could remove mountains because you trust God, but if you are conquering mountains, removing mountains, accomplishing great things. If you have not love, if you don't seek the highest good of others, then you're nothing. That, that hurts my feelings. <laughs> the Bible just like gets right up in our world and says, Hey, prophetic person, your gifts are awesome, but you don't love people. So therefore in the context of what you're doing, you're nothing. Hey, faith people, mountain, mountain climbers in the, in the spirit, you know, giant slayers, you know, you, you've got great faith. You can do some wonderful signs and miracles and healings, but if you don't love people, just remember something, all of what you're doing is nothing because your heart isn't right. You're nothing. Isn't that, that's borderline insulting, but that's how seriously God takes this. God takes love being the motivating factor in all that we do so seriously that he says, I don't care what you say. You can speak in tongues for 24 straight hours. I don't care because I look into your heart and you're not a person of love. Now, it doesn't mean he quits loving us. It just means because he loves us, he's seeking our highest good. And our highest good would not be to continue in a ministry, prophetic powers, mountain-moving faith, miracle signs and wonders. That is not good for us to do if we're doing it independently of love. That's what Paul is saying. Because he's talking to the church at Corinth, and they were super gifted. He told them in chapter number one of 1 Corinthians, he said, you don't come behind in any gift. Meaning, you guys really are gifted but you're not mature and you're not loving. Paul even said sacrifice. Watch this, man. This is cool. First Corinthians 13, three says, if I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but if I have nothing, if I have not love, I gain nothing. Paul said, you can go through the actions. It's possible to go through the actions of a sacrificial life, even to the extent of giving up your body to be burned for the cause martyrdom a sacrificial life 
actions of sacrifice, giving away your money, giving away your time, giving away your property, taking people in, serving relentlessly, sacrificial life. I, I believe in that. I believe all Christians ought to be a sacrificial saint. Matter of fact, if you're not, you're, you're barely saved if you're saved. If your life is not yet sacrificial with your time and your money and the gifts and abilities God has given you, I don't care how much you speak in tongues, prophesy, move mountains. Listen, you're not complete in love. And here's the rub. The rub is that you can do all of these sacrificial acts, even to the extent of martyrdom. But if you're not grounded in like cognizant love, you're conscious that you're loving people when you sacrifice. You're not grumbling. Oh, man, I got to go serve again. Oh, man, I'm going to write another check again or, you know, text another offering again. I could have done this with that money. I'm going to do it, though, because I'm a sacrificial Christian. Like that murmuring, complaining, fearful heart that I'm sacrificing. I hope I get back what I sacrifice. That's not love. And Paul said it's possible to go through all of that stuff and not be loving. So, I mean, what are you thinking? What are you feeling right now? Yeah, analyzing your heart, because if you're not, I'm not doing my job in the podcast. Like, I, I'm, I'm reading the verses. I've studied these. I've preached these for years. And every time I look at it, I hear the Holy Spirit saying, you see this one little place in your life? Yeah, you're actually not fully grown there, Jeff. You've, you've got to move a little bit more deeply. You've got to slow down a little bit. By the way, that is a word for some of you. Some of you are so busy in the kingdom, so flowy in the gifts, so engaged at your church or your ministry or in your family or wherever you are, you're, you're actually intentional, but you're so busy that you haven't even stopped to check and ask yourself, am I doing this with the motivation of loving the people who are on the receiving end of what, what I'm pouring out in my life? Guys, this is tough stuff. He, he goes on in verse number four. This is where he starts defining what love looks like. And this is why, you know, this is not primarily a romantic love or a sensory feeling of mushy. I'm all for that stuff, man. I'm not against that. I'm just saying if you're waiting on that to be the catalyst concerning how you live your life, it means you're basically bowing at the altar of your emotions and you're waiting for your emotions to tell you how to live. And that is not faith. He says love's patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. Now that right there, you could work on for the rest of the week. If, if I'm loving, I'm patient with people. I'm kind to people. Now, when does this appear? It usually appears in conflict. This is the great diagnostic. How do you know if you're patient and kind? Well, let somebody provoke you. How do you respond? Because it's not hard to be patient and kind when everything's moving in the same direction as we are and people are right there with us. Patience is needed when you hit speed bumps, when you hit roadblocks, when there's detours. Kindness happens when somebody doesn't treat you kindly. That's your opportunity to show how much you love them. Why? You're seeking their highest good. You're not reacting in offense. You're not reacting in resentment. You're not partnering with bitterness. You're going to be the kind one. You're going to be the patient one. It goes on to say love doesn't envy or boast. Love is not about me. I'm, I'm, love is anti-self-focus. Like literally, if we love well, we are not consumed with ourselves. We don't envy. We don't want what other people have. We're happy that they have it, even if we don't have it. Why? Because we're seeking their highest good. 
It's not about us. When we look at the lives of others, we're not resentful because they have something we don't have. If we are resentful, we don't know how to love because we're living in envy. Love doesn't boast. It's not always about you. It should rarely be about you coming from you. Let others make it about you if they choose, but you don't make it about you. Why? Because that's not loving. Goes on to say love isn't arrogant or rude. Well, let me just ask the question. Are you arrogant? Are you rude? Because you're living in a culture that is both. You're living in a culture that is saturated with arrogance and rudeness. Has it gotten in you? Well, I don't know, Jeff. Well, that's the rest of verse 5, 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Here's how you know if arrogance or rudeness or envy or boasting is usurping love in your life. It does not insist on its own way. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 5. If it has to be your way, then you're not operating in love. And guys, listen, I can't mine down all the different ways you might analyze or because there's always a, yeah, but, or what if, and how about, and I get it. There's a thousand questions. Go ask those questions and let God answer them for you. But I do know what the Bible says. Love doesn't insist on its own way. And there's a lot of people in the church that cannot bear the thought of it not going their way. That's why a lot of people leave churches because something didn't go their way. And that they take the moral high ground. I didn't get my way because that means they're wrong. I can't follow somebody that's wrong. I can't partner with somebody that's wrong. I can't go to church with somebody that's wrong. <laughs> it's just that blindness. It's that blindness. And what they're, what they're actually saying is, I need to have it my way in most everything. Well, you'll never grow in love if you can't bear with something not going your way. I got to wrap up here because time, this is just such a big topic. I think I'll do another um I might do a part two on this thing because I, I really don't. Matter of fact, I will. So let me let me just finish up up today. All right. So 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, it's not irritable. Love is not irritable or resentful. Like love goes ahead and bears with irritations. And when those irritations stack up, love refuses to get resentful. Man, I'm feeling the Holy Spirit on this. I feel like this is a direct word for probably many, but maybe consider it for yourself. Who do you resent? Who are you carrying resentment toward? doesn't mean you're acting on it. You know, r- resenting somebody is a, a, a sin of the spirit. It doesn't necessarily have to be a sin of action. It's a sin of the spirit. You're carrying something. You feel that they owed you. And because they didn't give you what you were owed, you're living in a perpetual state of feeling like that person still owes you. You've got to come out of agreement with that. You can't be resentful. It's very hard. I'm not telling you that this is easy. You've not heard me mention the word easy, but it's required. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Could you imagine this? This helps me so much. I'm going to wrap up with this thought. It helps me so much to recognize that all of these things that we're describing about love is how the Lord operates with me. And since my goal in life is to honor him, glorify him, that I might be conformed to his likeness. I might be made into the image of Christ. That's what Paul Uh, details as the ultimate goal of God the Father for all of us is to bring us into Christ likeness. So 
All of these things that are being required of me are things that I have already received personally from God. I mean, this is, this is amazing. God is patient with you. God is very kind to you. God is not looking at something you have in your life and wishing you didn't have it. That's envy. God doesn't operate in that. God's not arrogant and he's not rude with you. He does not treat you abrasively when you frustrate him. He doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't scream at you. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't shame you. Why? Because he loves you and he can't do that to the one whom he loves. He, listen, he is not irritable. He's not resentful towards you. Couldn't he be though? Couldn't Jesus resent you and me for things that we have done and said during our lives? Some things that we've asked forgiveness for and then done again. Couldn't he be resentful? He, he, he probably couldn't, but you know what I'm saying? He's God. He's not going to sin. But you know what I'm saying? He does not treat you in that way. And therefore you having received his seeking of your highest good, you are to reciprocate and seek the highest good of people in your life. To become like Jesus is to treat people in your life like Jesus treats you. And so how can we receive all of this grace, all of this mercy, all of this forgiveness, all of this commitment to never break away? How can we receive that from Jesus? And then when people come underneath our expectation of them, we're resentful, we're arrogant, we're rude, we're disrespectful, we're resentful, we're irritable. Do you see what I'm saying? So the empowerment of all of this is that we are recipients of this type of love from Jesus. And he says, therefore, go and give it to others. All right, my time's up today. I am going to come back and do a second part, so tune back in next week. I'll do a part two of this. I want to remind you that uh, registration for Caneo Ministry Training Center is open for just a short time more, July 31st, and we're done. And if you want to join me in a endeavor, a journey, to um, grow in the faith, to get teachings from proven leaders, kingdom leaders, pastors, professors, uh, Bible teachers, go to Kineo, K-I-N-E-O-M-T-C, Kineo Ministry Training Center, KineoMTC.com, and click on the registration button, find out um, the necessary info. We've made it very easy for you to register, but time's getting short. I would love to have you be a part of what God is doing at the school, over 40 campuses in the United States of America. We have a couple overseas, and uh, it's just an amazing thing. This is the time, man. Get grounded, get grounded, get grounded in the truth as you live by the Spirit. We'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits.